Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada, it's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, presented by Tequila Embajador. That's right, you are in the huddle. It is Thursday, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, and as we... Look ahead to the beginning of March and the scouting combine coming up next week in Indianapolis, and I will be there. It's the time of year we like to reach out to our college football beat writer brethren to get some insight on all these young players we're going to get a look at next week in Indianapolis and moving forward, training camps and whatnot. So um, we're going to kick things off by going out to the Raider Nation guest line and, and welcoming in Bill Rabinowitz, who covers Ohio State for the great newspaper, the Columbus Dispatch. Bill Rabinowitz, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. Truly appreciate it. You know, your your uh, Joey, who I know from back in my days in California, he's somewhere like in Santa Barbara right now. I, 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 I hesitate to ask what the weather is like right now in Columbus. Uh, while Joey is over there <laughs> sipping wine in the Santa Barbara wine uh, country, what where, what are we talking about, Bill? Yeah, it's uh, we're getting rain right now and freezing rain overnight, so not ideal. It was actually like sixty earlier in the week. So okay, there was a glimmer of hope, <laughs> and then Ohio winters struck back. Uh, we're not supposed to get any accumulation; it's not much, so it's, it's not going to be bad. But yeah, Joey is. Joey's off uh, gallivanting. It's, uh, he's getting married in a couple months, and and so this is a bachelor party weekend, I guess. So well, there we'll you go. But it gives us a, a chance to uh, to visit with you uh, and get your thoughts on some Ohio State uh, players that uh, that I think the Raiders are definitely doing some deep dives in above and beyond the wide receivers that are coming out. But Bill, I got to ask you: When was the last time an Ohio State player wide receiver went first in, or, or in the first round? Can you remember? Do you recall, Bill? Oh, uh, I'm sure I should know this. If I had, I'm actually at, uh, it was a dinner with my wife, so I'm in the car, so I don't have. It's all good. Uh, it, it goes back to 2007, Ted Ginn and Anthony Gonzalez. I was like, Ted Ginn, okay. Yeah, I was right. kind of stunned. You know, I was thinking, um, yeah. you know, uh, Mike Devin Thomas. This was second round, I think. Yes, exactly. So it should have been in the first round, obviously. But it's been a little while. It's been a little while since Ohio State produced a first-round wide receiver uh, draft pick. Um, But this year, I think that's all about to change. Uh, And I'd love for you to tell us why that's about ready to change. Yeah, well, they have two receivers who will probably go in the first round. I think Jared Wilson's an absolute lock to go in the first round, probably the top half of the first round. Um, And then Chris Olave is probably going to go later in the first round. I saw one mock draft that had him going early in the second round. You know, who knows? I mean, you know, these things are unpredictable. But he's certainly a first-round talent. And if he if he does slip, it's just because teams didn't happen to one wide receiver. And I guess there's there are some pretty good receivers in this class. Uh, Garrett Wilson is just, he makes kind of circus catches look routine. And I remember tweeting and telling Ohio State fans, appreciate what you got with this guy. Right. Ohio State's had some great receivers, but... For somebody to make the acrobatic catches the way he does and make it look effortless, you can get spoiled. And, you know, he's not that big a guy. He's maybe six foot, you know, I'm guessing 190. Again, I don't have the roster in front of me. But he's not, he's not one of those guys you look at and go, oh, man, you know, just toss the boo 
but he's got amazing agility. He was a basketball player growing up, and he's got those point guard skills. In fact, he's got like, you know, big man skills in a way in terms of shielding his body and extending his body to, you know, get, get the ball like a rebounder would. Um, very quick, very fast, very good hands. You know, we'll drop a ball occasionally, but who doesn't? Right. Uh, but, but hands are not really an issue with him. Uh, very good after the catch. And, and, a, and a good guy. He's not going to get in any trouble. He's, you know, come from, you know, good background and, and, uh, smart guy. And, you know, he's, he's a safe pick. And so is Chris Olave. I mean, Chris Olave from, from California came in as an overlooked prospect. He didn't play his junior year of high school because he was, he had transferred and there were issues with the transfer. And so he didn't play. Ohio State kind of got on him early. They were recruiting another kid, a quarterback, Jack Cuddle, who played in Indiana. And uh, they, they ended up getting Olave, and, and he became a star. Uh, first, as a freshman against Michigan, was his coming out party. was great the next two years. was very good last year, too. Um, a very smooth guy, great, great route runner, very good hands, uh, probably more of a pure deep threat than, than Garrett Wilson is. Garrett Wilson's the kind of guy who will catch an intermediate pass and then take it. Um, Olave can just beat you deep. And, and also makes kind of circus catches too, not quite as often as Garrett Wilson does, but but still, you know, quite often. Chris Olave from the beautiful city of San Diego, uh, know that place well. Uh, all right, so for Garrett Wilson, uh, was it pretty obvious day one? Um, you know, Bill, when when you're out there watching practice, uh, that that he was going to be something special, or was it a work in progress that eventually came there? Well. First of all, we don't really get to watch practice. Oh yeah, it's different than the NFL. Yep. Uh, you know, I used to cover the NFL. You'd watch them. Well, I did, and they were there really were two days, and so you you really got to see. You know, you weren't just kind of relying on what people told you. You actually got to see it. At Ohio State and most colleges, it's, it's not that way. And and he had to earn his way into into the uh, lineup. I mean, when he got there, they were really good receivers ahead of him: Paris Campbell and KJ Hill, and I mean, you know, they were a, Terry McLaurin. So he had to kind of wait his turn his freshman year. He saw some action, but then you could tell. And I actually saw him play his last game in high school. Uh, that was in Texas for the Ohio State Bowl game, and, and his team was playing in the Texas State Championship, so I went to it. Matthew Baldwin was the quarterback, and he gets hurt on the first play of the game. It's uh, kind of doomed their team. But Garrett Wilson made a circus catch in that game. And I'd heard about him, but when I saw that catch in that high school game, I thought, oh, man. It was a sideline catch. I can still see it. And you're like, that's an NFL catch by a, what, a 17-year-old. And so nothing he has done at Ohio State has surprised me because I, I knew what kind of player he was. Uh, but the key is to do it consistently, and, and he did. Yeah, we're talking about three years, 143 catches, 2,213 yards, and 23 touchdowns. That is a ton of production, and it sounds like um, they lined him up all over the field uh, as well. So uh, what do you think he projects as more uh, outside slot um, in your eyes? Where do you see him getting on the field? I think they can move him around. He played slot receiver his sophomore year. And then with Jackson Smith and Jigba coming in, he was going to, and, and it was kind of decided, I think it was a mutual decision that Garrett Wilson was going to play on the outside last year. Uh, they thought it was good for him and also good to get Jackson Smith and Jigba in the lineup. And anyone who watched him play realized, yeah, that was probably a good move. 
So uh, he can do both. He's a versatile guy. Again, he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's not. He's not you know Randy Moss who's going to just tower over guys. But with his leaping ability and his and his catch radius, he kind of plays that way. So you know he can catch the deep ball, the intermediate ball, but he can also just catch the little slant and make a linebacker or safety miss, and off he goes. We're talking to Bill Rabinowitz from the great Columbus uh, Dispatch, and he does a tremendous job covering Ohio State football. In terms of Chris Olave, do you kind of more see him on the outside? Yeah, I think so. You know, he's not kind of as twitchy as as Garrett Wilson is, or Jackson Smith and Jigba is. He's more of a kind of a smooth guy, very precise route runner. Um, not, I mean, he could do it, I think, but I think he's better on the outside. We're um, talking to Bill Rabinowitz from the Columbus uh, Dispatch. Uh, all right, uh, uh, anyone else on Ohio State um, coming into this draft that we should keep an eye on? Well, let me ask you, what are the Raiders' biggest needs? Uh, wide receiver, offensive line, um, and I know they, they've got a big tackle uh, that uh, really took a big step forward this year uh, at Ohio State, so I'm sure he's in the mix uh, there as well. Nicholas, Nicholas uh, Pettit-Faree? Pete Frere. Frere, yes, okay. Um, it sounds like a late bloomer a little bit, uh, or at least in terms of the production, but had a great senior or last year uh, Outland Trophy semifinalist. Yeah, he was a guy who was actually the highest-rated guy in their recruiting class. Ohio State wanted Jackson Carmen, who ended up going to Clemson, an Ohio guy. They were disappointed with that, but they, they realized late that he was going to maybe not go there, so they kind of put the full-court press on Nicholas Petit Frere, who was from Tampa, and they got him. He was, I think, the number seven overall prospect that year. And it took some time that he had to gain weight. Um, it was like this comical thing almost that they were just like, you know, strapping him to feedback at the trough, and he, he couldn't gain weight. Wow. He really did. Um, and so, uh, you know, he bulked up to over 300 pounds. He's like 6'7", I think, 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, and so uh, I thought last year, except for with one exception, he played great. I thought in some ways he was – their best lineman. Um, the Michigan game was an exception. Aiden Hutchinson ran amok against all of them, including Nicholas Petit Frere. So that probably hurts his draft stock, that performance. But overall, he was really, really good. He's got a, a, a nice frame. He's an athletic. He's a very smart guy. Uh, you know, he's a guy that you, 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 you draft him and he, he starts for you for, you know, seven years. You don't have to worry about it. Um, they have another offensive lineman, Thera Munford, who played right or left tackle for three years and then switched to left guard. It was actually his choice. It was a last year at a right tackle, Dewan Jones, who they it was a definitely a project when they signed him, but he really developed and Thera said, Hey, we need this guy on the field and to get him on the field, I'm willing to move from left tackle to left guard. Love to see you it. You don't see that happen very often. Right. I mean that's just not something you see. Left left tackle is the marquee position. You know, guard is kind of down in the pecking order by most people's, uh, you know, measure. But that's the kind of team player Thayer Munford was. And, and he was good. I think he is probably better as a tackle. Um, I think he's going to be a versatile guy in the NFL. I don't know that he's quite the prospect that, that Petit Frere is. But uh, Thayer Munford was a, was a guy who really was not. Um, he had some issues in high school and, um, in terms of eligibility, and he transferred, and it was it was kind of a long shot to get to Ohio State in the first place. They had to lose a lot of weight, um, and and really was a surprise when he emerged as quickly as he did. 
So the stories of Petit Frere and, and Munford, Ohio State, were were very different and, and far different than you would have thought based on their recruiting ratings. ratings. Um, but Munford had a had a great career. He was he wore the block O, which is a, a two year old tradition by Ohio State to kind of honor the the most respected guy on the team, and and that was Munford. So um, yeah, and you know I got to know him pretty well, and he just. I just respect the fact that he has overcome so much to become the player that he became. Absolutely. And really appreciate it, uh, Bill Rabinowitz, for spending some time with us in the huddle. Thank you for shedding some light on Ohio State. I know Raider Nation uh, has their eyes on those uh, two wide receivers, but that tackle uh, is super intriguing to me. I like the guys that kind of had to work at it and maybe were a little bit late bloomers. Maybe the best football is still uh, ahead of him as well. So we will keep an eye on that. We truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, and we'll talk to you down the road, my friend. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You got it. That was Bill Rabinowitz from the Columbus Post-Dispatch, one of the great newspapers in the United States, uh, and he does a great job covering Ohio State football. We truly appreciate that. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Thursday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. You guys, if you could just see me right now um, in the studio, and I think I feel bad for Devon Cotton because he, ke- he keeps thinking that something happened because I'm like just kind of hooting and hollering. What am I doing, Devon Cotton? Watching some highlights. Of... Dang it, you put me on the Garrett spot. I, yes, I forgot the name. Garrett I was going to say, it's not Chris Wilson. It's not Chris it's Wilson. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, and you just saw the catch that I saw a little bit earlier. Uh, the, the over the back of the defender who had him just covered like a glove. One-handed with his – he kind of reaches over with his left arm to cradle the ball in while he's body-to-body with his defender – Falling backwards, still makes the catch in the corner of the end zone uh, or in the end zone for a long touchdown pass. Uh, I got to say, Demond Cotton. You're all in on Garrett Wilson. I'm all That's in on Garrett Wilson. That's what it sounded Five like. Five minutes in a film uh, or, or just a, uh, a commercial break. That's all it took. It's all it took. All in. <laughs> so I've got to ask you this then because you're, you're, talk, you're hyping him up. Would you take him over Drake London? Oh, man. I can't. <laughs> I cannot. I, Drake London is. I mean, I'd be if I'm a team. I don't care what team you're talking about. I'd be happy with either guy for sure. Uh, but Drake London, Moore Park High School, the 805, uh, USC, obviously. Uh, that dude just does some spectacular stuff, and he's big. It's a, it's one of those things like you can't teach height. Like right. That's the uh, John Wooden line. Yes. Yeah, because like you got a six five receiver <sighs> as opposed to a six foot receiver. And he was a hooper. All these guys. You know, the great ones usually play a couple of different sports. Um, but, uh, you know, he was Drake London was also a, a good basketball player. And you can tell a lot of these wide receivers are just kind of like NFL slash basketball players on the field because you have to do nowadays, especially um, there's boxing out, <laughs> there's leaping, obviously, there's. Uh, you're looking for the ball and you know tracking the ball, and a lot of those skills happen in the NBA when you're getting the you know th- uh, passes thrown to you while you're being defended, having to shake guys to get to the hoop, having to um, 
make plays in traffic while guys are, you know, all up on your body and everything like that. It takes a lot. So there are, I guess there's some similarities, right, between wide receiver and, the NBA and basketball, right? Yeah. yeah, of course. You always you always see it in tight end. That's why you got so many, like Jimmy Graham, right. those types of the 6-7 forward on the basketball team. Hey, come over and play football. We got just yes. the same for you. Yeah, um, the great tight end for the Chargers. Antonio uh, Gates. He, he didn't even play. Uh, college football. He was a basketball player. In Tony college. Gonzalez, one Tony, of the best of all time. Tony Gonzalez was a really good basketball player. Uh, Huntington Beach, then Cal, and played on the bat. I think he, he was with Jason um, Jason Kidd. He played on the team on the Cal basketball team with Jason Kidd. Uh, that that went pretty darn far in in, in the tournament one year. But yes, uh, you could see basketball uh, in a lot of these guys. I remember talking to. Um, uh, We'll get to that in one second because I just lost his name. But this guy, he was a tight end for um, uh, uh, Gerald. Um, he's played for the Seahawks now. Gerald, tight end. I'll look it up for you. Yeah, uh, tight end for the uh, Gerald Everett. And uh, one, he makes a catch in the end zone, and he has to slide. He, he literally slides, all right? And so I remember after the game or the next day I saw him in practice or whenever it was, I was like, dude, what? what? You you like it was like you were sliding in the second base. He goes, I know it was the weirdest thing. I never do that. And I go, well, why'd you do it? He goes, well, you know what? Now that I think about it, when I was a kid up until high school, he was a baseball player. He goes, so sliding became a natural thing for me. He goes, and as I was making that catch, uh, Gerald Everett, who's now on the uh, on the Seattle Seahawks, as I was making the catch, it just came naturally. Like <laughs> I got a slide right here, and it was a perfect slide. For the catch, and it, it was a it was a really good reminder for me. And I think I've told you this story before, but I remember talking. You know, uh, we were somewhere with the Clippers, and it's at practice, and it's it's a shoot around. It's kind of a lazy practice uh, the the day of a game, and I'm just sitting next to Blake Griffin, uh, whatever arena we were at, and I'm looking at him like I'm like, you know, I look at you and I see football, the potential for football, like you could. Go to the NFL. If they trained you right, you know, you're he's what was he, six seven, just a, a, a sturdy six seven, you know, great athlete. And uh he, he started laughing. He goes, you know, this will trip you out. But when I was in high school, I was way skinnier. And I was a damn good wide receiver <laughs> in high school. And then he's talked about when he played baseball. And he's like, you know, it pisses me off when I hear kids and coaches talking about making these kids play one sport, choose one sport in high school. He goes, if, and his dad was a great basketball coach in Oklahoma, a great renowned basketball coach in the state of Oklahoma, Blake Griffin's dad. And his dad told him, I don't want you just focusing on basketball. I want you playing every sport imaginable. Whatever your heart desires, go play it. I don't want you just focused on basketball. And he told me, he goes, I look back on that now, and I'm so happy that he gave me that advice because – had I just strictly stayed with basketball, there's no way I'd be right here now. He goes, I would. I'm the type of person that would have gotten burnt out and just frustrated with it, and said, you know what, I'm done with it because I can't just focus on one thing. I needed more than that, and but more than that, he he said, but everything that I ever did, from soccer to baseball to football, has helped me in basketball. So when I look at some of these guys like London Drake, uh, and as we're watching Garrett Wilson, you can see some hoops in their background, and they utilize some of that skill set, some of those skills uh, on the football field. But watching Garrett Wilson, and he's kind of projected to go somewhere behind uh, Drake London, 
you can see why Ohio State fans were giddy with this dude and why the NFL is infatuated infatuated with this guy because he can make it happen. But going back to Drake London, Damon, from your film analysis, which consists of Googling or go to YouTube and watching some some games of Drake London, what stands out to you about him? Like I said earlier, you can't teach height. I know. You're looking He's at almost dude. like a Mike Evans with a little bit of better athlete. Our friend Ted Wynn from The Athletic uh, tweeted out, it might have been today or yesterday, but he was like, you know, I'm watching this tape of Drake London, and I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm like right there in the tweet, like, oh, I can't wait to see what Ted has to say about Drake London. And, you know, comma, man, was USC bad last year. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, you know, I'm five games into my film analysis of Drake London. I was like, I can't wait to see what Ted has to say about Drake London. He's like, man, USC was so bad last year. But sometimes that tells you more about the kid than when they were on a great team because Drake London was still making things happen in a very dysfunctional situation at USC these last couple of years. That dude can play uh, without question. So I don't know what it is, um, Damon, but lately – and maybe it's the diverse background that players have had with their various sports that they play, um, you know, as they're growing up. Maybe it's all the fine-tuning that kids uh, are undergoing these days, playing constant seven-on-seven tournaments, um, you know, travel ball, whether it's football or, or whatever, but specifically as we talk about football. Anyway, or maybe it's the way uh, uh, college football is trending. Um but there's just so many good wide receivers now. And you get caught up in that first round. You got to get a first round wide receiver. You got to get a first round wide receiver. And yes, you know, if there's an obvious like Drake London or Garrett Wilson, you have to if you have if you especially if you have a need at that position. But man, there's also value beyond the first round and we've seen that Mike Thomas was a second round pick. That's what kind of threw Bill Rabinowitz off a little bit cuz just like him I was thinking, wait, to Michael. Oh, yeah, that's right. He didn't go in the first round, inexplicably. So go ahead. Exactly, because there's always like so many first round talents at receiver. We've seen it. I feel like every year it's always, hey, this receiving class yeah. is just as deep as it was last year. I think it started, I'd say like around like the Odell time, like where it was just receiver after receiver that's just like, hey, this receiving class is so great. Yeah. But there are, I think there's enough depth. A guy that I'm keeping my eye on, Calvin Austin. And you, you, the name, he's not related to him, but just think of Tavon Austin. And I know what some people are just <laughs> like, but the Senior Bowl coaches, they said he's one of the smartest receivers that they had at the Senior Bowl. 5'7", quick as a hiccup. And I think that you saw what Debo Samuel did last year for the 49ers. I think a team, let's say the Raiders, anybody would be able to benefit from a guy. Hey, he's fast as hell. We're talking about 4'3 speed at least. Right, if you can get that five seven guy. Just get the ball in his hands. Well, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, Tavon, and I remember the uh, and I'm hearing this voice in my head right now. Uh, Lesney, the the Rams general manager. There's now there's depth at that position. Now there's depth at that position. So you know when you know that there's depth at the position, you don't have to just strike first at you know because you have to feel like no, we can wait into the second round, into the third round. Uh, and it's a good point that you make um, about. Players like that, where maybe not in the first round, but at some point in the draft. I mean, you look at um, we talk, we mentioned Mike Thomas, Juju Schuster was what third round, second round, third round. Uh, Cooper Cup was a third round pick. There's a lot of value uh, in 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 that second round, third round, sometimes even in the fourth round, uh, where if you kind of hold your horses a little bit 
and let the draft fall to you, you can still end up with an impact, a high-impact player later on in the draft and fill other needs. Sometimes I felt like, you know, the Raiders, and, and they're no uh, guiltier than, than other teams in this regard over the years, where you draft for need and you feel compelled to draft for that need in the first round rather than maybe sometimes waiting. And maybe in by doing so, you kind of force your hand a little bit. And we've... We know what the um, the evidence of that is, uh, you know, for the, for the Raiders the last few years, and I and I wonder now moving forward with Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels if they're going to try to kind of get away from that and find the value at every spot that they draft rather than forcing it because you have a need at that position. Even as I do covering the Raiders, uh, even as I analyze their draft and, and go through their free agent needs and free agency, uh, I find myself just going directly to the highest need uh, for, for the Raiders, and that's wide receiver and offensive line and maybe a cornerback and a safety, depending on what the system is going to be, Demon. And, and so as I put myself in Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniel's shoes, I find myself forcing the issue like, oh, they got to get this. They got to get that for the glaring need when maybe that's not the way to go sometimes. And just to stick with receiver, because we're just talking about yes. so much depth at that position. There are a lot Even of depth this year. North Dakota State. So I, we had a text a couple of days ago, that, Christian yes, Watson. Yes. And it's just like, hey, I'm doing a little, little bit. Hey, someone brings it up. Maybe the Raiders should take him. Do a little research on him. Wouldn't be a bad pick. Because like he could shoot up. I think this is the type of person where if he was at a Power 5 school, same thing maybe with Cooper Cup. If right. this person's at a Power 5 school, first round immediately. Like, right. There's no question. Exactly. So you got people that go to those smaller schools, an FCS school at that. Hey, now you could maybe he slips to the second or third round. How big is our South Dakota State standout? 6'4", 4'4", speed. There you go. 4'4". So we're, we're, we're getting caught up in that trap. The 4'4". Hey, I know, but you know, I it <laughs> you just, have to, ha- yeah. Like if a receiver came out, like if it's like oh six five two thirty, and he ran like a five flat, I don't care. Like hey, I, I don't care. If you ate something bad that day. Like oh, I just wasn't feeling it. That'd be a bad sign. I'll, I'll put Sometimes, it this way. Sometimes I, I I I texted somebody um, recently, and I was like, what about J- Juju Suster? He's a free agent. I think the Raiders are probably looking for a little bit more speed. I'm like, oh, you know. But again, here's a guy that. I feel like when Juju has had good quarterback, good he's quarterback only had the play. one. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is, and even that one, there's been a range of performance from that one because of injuries and age and all that. When Big Ben was playing at a reasonable uh, level, Juju Schuster, in 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 like was as well. His production was there. His numbers were there. I just feel like with the quarterback play. A, because of injuries a couple of years ago, and B, just because age and um, you know physicality caught up to Big Ben. When he wasn't playing well, the numbers reflected that with Juju uh, Smith-Schuster. But when he has a good quarterback, I think if he goes to a situation where there's a capable quarterback, correct me if I'm wrong, Damon, but I think that his numbers can go up. I, the speed, okay, you know, he might be the, he's not the fastest guy. That's why he didn't go uh, as high as he probably could have in the draft as well. But when when there's a quarterback on the other side that's playing capable football, Juju Smith can play. What are we, if you if we have his numbers? He's had some. He's had at least one good year. I know that best season was 2018. Two. 111 catches, 1,400 yards, seven touchdowns. What else has he done? So he was drafted in 2017. 
right? His rookie year, he had a pretty decent rookie year, if I remember correctly. 42 catches, right. but I mean, huh? no, 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 excuse me. 58, I was looking at the wrong year. 58 catches his rookie year, okay. but he was also playing across from Antonio Brown back yes. when Antonio Brown was still a, a legit number one option. Right, and so they were getting the ball to uh, Antonio as a result of that. But he was also injured last season. Juju was injured, yes. yes. So he only his, played five games total. Yeah, exactly. The year before, his numbers were, and the year before, I think, was when there was just— Had 97 catches. The year before. In 2020, yes. Was Big Ben the— Big Ben wasn't— Yes, he was. In 2020? I think he was, but I'm saying that I thought he got hurt. Was it 2020? Maybe it was 2019 that uh, Big Ben was hurt. Big Ben paid 15 out of 16 possible games in, in, in 2020. 2020. All right, so uh, what was the yardage for Juju? In that, uh, so you know, to me, I don't, I, I just think that Juju is a ball player, and I think he would fit pretty well. Only eight hundred and thirty yards receiving. That's because, and now I'm going to go back to that. That's to me. I'm sorry, but 2020, 21, Big Ben had a noodle arm. Nothing wrong with that. You're 108 thousand years old by that point, and a broken down quarterback at that. So there, I mean, I remember being in Pittsburgh last year, Demond. After the, it was the second game of the season, and the Pittsburgh Steelers—they were coming off a win over the Buffalo Bills. Remember, they blew them out in the first week of the season. That was crazy. But anyway, all the sports talk was talking about: Does Big Ben even want to throw long anymore? He doesn't. He didn't ever throw long anymore. He just stopped doing it. And I'm thinking to myself: It's not because he doesn't want to. I don't think he can anymore. He just wasn't physically able to throw the long ball as much, and that's going to affect a guy's yardage. Yeah, but he also had different – Deontay Johnson had a good season, had more receiving yards. Chase Claypool had good receiving yards, had more receiving yards than him. So I also think that – And he was hurt. You mean, yeah, but two years ago, right? Yeah, but I think that he's just been a victim of playing around good talent. And I don't mean like a victim. It doesn't hurt because it gets you open, but he's always had to share those numbers with someone. Okay, yeah. Whereas if he was more of a featured guy, he should be able but to But maybe deliver. he maybe he isn't that big number one guy. Right. That's maybe he isn't. But maybe, maybe he's in a, he's collaboration. Yes. In collaboration. Um what do they call it? An, an ensemble cast. Yes, and he's been a, a he's been an ensemble cast guy. Because even though you because Big Ben, yeah, that arm has been dying Woo. for it's been dying for years. But in twenty twenty, <laughs> they did make the playoffs. They did play against Cleveland and it was a shootout. It was like a thirty to forty type game. Yes, so, I, I mean, that. so they still like Big Ben was still viable. Thirty eight hundred yards. It's nothing to sneeze at. It might have been dink and dunk. It was like, you know, yards after. Yeah, the no, catch, it was actually. That yak. Yeah. But it's but it's still like he was he was serviceable. And last year was the year Gosh, where you he say basically fell apart. The yak. Uh, it might have been last year in, in training camp. And there was a throw to Alec Leatherwood. It was just like a, he lined up in the backfield, rolled out, throw to uh, Alec. Uh, and it was like it was probably like a twelve yard throw, and Alec goes running down the field, and I can still hear John Gruden right now. F throwing the long ball. F, we'll get our own yards. It's yards after catch. It's all about the effing yards after catch. And I'm like, that's but that was you know, 
You know, that yak, it's important. It's the, it, it, it truly is. and um, but. That's one of the stats where the San Francisco 49ers where it's coming in, oh, we get players that could like match our system, or what do we want? Yes. That's something from, with Debo Samuel that Ooh. they saw. Oh, my, he, I think he like led like college football in yardage after the catch, and they're right. like, that's the type of guy that we want on our team. That's what. That's one of the first things I look at. You know, you look at, all right, what's how many yards is he averaging per catch, and how many of those yards are yak yards? Uh, because that's where you turn into a football player. You go from wide, which obviously being just catching the ball takes football skills. But then once you have the ball in your hands and you're, that's why to me, like a guy like Hunter Renfro, and I've talked to him about this. I'm like, dude, do you have eyes behind your back? Because he never gets hit on the first, he never gets taken down on the first hit. It's like he has a move already in store forever, whoever that poor guy is. And he's able to go get, four or five important yards, you know, um, and, and sometimes even more having that sense of who's around you, where you are on the football field and how you can find the seam, the angle, the, whatever you want to call it is the room to be able to go get some very important extra yards. That's why he's such a good quote unquote football player. And a lot of times, you know, there are some guys that are just catch and that's about it, guys. Remember when the the Raiders uh, signed Smoke, uh, the wide receiver from uh, the Buffalo Bills? Uh, uh, he didn't last. He got cut in, in training camp. But I remember watching his tape um, when he was with Buffalo, and it just I, – I, 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 I was like, he doesn't do anything once he gets the ball. He, it's a catch, and that's it. A catch, and that hit. He had, he had all the speed. That's why they called him Smoke. But he could, he never did anything with the ball. Once he got the ball, and I was like, I don't know about this guy. Like, yeah, he catches the ball, and there were a few years where he had some volume to those catches. But the the aftermath of after the catch, it wasn't all that uh, overwhelming, so uh, he didn't last uh, with the Raiders. So, um, you know, like you said, Devon, the yards after catch. But watching guys like Drake London and – uh, Garrett Wilson here uh, doing our film research that we're doing as we just scour the tape on YouTube. <laughs> we're all experts now, right? Because of YouTube. Thank God for YouTube. I could just call up anybody, college football player right now, and find some tape and be able to scour some tape. Oh, was it John Brown? Was that who yes, you're thinking of? Yeah. yeah, if you watch him, it's just... It was, you know, you'd catch the ball, and that was about it. And it's important to catch the ball, but you have to do sometimes more. And that's why, you know, when when you talk about, like, a Hunter Renfro and people, oh, he's a possession wide receiver. Yeah, he's a possession wide receiver that also makes things happen with the ball. If you can get, like, a Brian, I I still, I'm not ready to just, you know, uh, turn my back on Brian Edwards. I think he still can play. Maybe a system change will help him. Um but he's got all the physical traits that you need. He's got the speed. Uh, when he's locked in, he can make the catch. But that's been a little bit of an issue uh, in terms of some of the drops, some big drops that he's had. Go ahead. Oh, just got a text from my man Aaron. think he's talking about John Brown. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, he just – that's how overwhelming he was. Nothing against John Brown. Easiest name in the world should to remember. But if you go watch his tape – and I, you know, every time covering the team when the Raiders sign a player, you go to YouTube and look at the film. And I was like, wow, huh? okay. 
Not quite sure about, uh, but he was brought in to be like a fourth wide receiver and didn't even make it to that point. Uh, got got cut, but uh, but yeah, looking at Garrett Wilson here, it's just he puts on a clinic uh, at times. Whether it's route running, whether it's going up and getting the ball, and he isn't the biggest guy. Uh, Bill Rabinowitz from Ohio State alerted us to that. You're talking about five eleven, five ten, not the most stout guy, uh, but he 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 really is clever and polished as a route runner and when the ball is in his hands I'm watching a uh, it wasn't necessarily a jet sweep they kind of flipped the ball to him uh, but he goes and gets 15 yards pretty easily uh, here in the game against Indiana what a great game that was there's uh, finds it's just okay so I'm I'm, I'm liking Garrett but I don't think he's going to be there for the Raiders no that no neither is Drake London so that's oh, of course not that becomes the question of do you trade up if you if you're that compelled you trade up. I kind of think looking at the track record and the history of um of of Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, just from the program that they're coming from, I feel like it's more likely they trade down than trade up. Yeah, they're already at sitting at pick twenty two. Twenty two. What are you trading down to get? Uh you know, what you could do is trade trade down to get multiple Maybe a, a first rounder next year, maybe a second and a third round this year. Get yourself a couple of second round picks. I don't know. I mean, and and obviously it takes two to tango. But I've seen the Patriots. You ever watch a draft with the Patriots? The Patriots are up, and then on that little scroll, Patriots trade down, and then the next time the Patriots are up, Patriots are up. You know, on the clock, Patriots just traded down. They've gone sometimes a while without making a pick, and then all of a sudden they've got like eight of the next 12 picks or something along those. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they just keep – they're like um, that that uh, that video game Pac-Man where they're just gobbling up the draft picks, gobbling up the draft picks, and all of a sudden they just draft like an entire linebacking group with three picks out of the last – you know, over the next five picks. So I'm bracing for something like that. I'm not ruling that out whatsoever. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Thursday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. The key, Devon, is getting the right mentor. That usually helps. My man might have just swayed you away from a career with one answer. No, no, no. My work did it for itself. <laughs> you can't judge. the. I mean, yeah, writing's, writing is you have to, but you can't judge yourself early on like that on writing. Like I look back at some of my stuff like last week. No, de- and deadlines are deadlines were too much. When I used to write for the Mountain West Wire, you know? Yeah. All right, so you're watching this UNLV game. Right. And then you're like, you got to, like, the whole crafting the story or the narrative, mm-hmm. you know, the recap, while you're watching the game, it's too much for me. I want to enjoy the game. I, oh, I can't. Don't, you, then, yeah, you can't get into the uh, exact profession. That's what, like, my whole beat reporting, as you do, was a terrible life for me. One season, one and done. It reminds me of uh, one of my favorite stories ever. Um, I don't know if you know who Vince Scully is. He was the great Dodger. Of course. Okay, so so I'm covering a it's – a, it's like a Thursday night Dodger game against somebody. And we're going into the ninth inning. It was already kind of a long game. The Dodgers are up 4-1. to one, 
And I got my story written, you know, the Dodgers win, blah, 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 what, this is what it means, all those, all the, what you were just talking about, right? It's about, an, it's like one out left, two outs in the, uh, in the, in the, in the ninth inning. All of a sudden, I'm, and I'm typing, I hear, crack! Three-run home run by the opposing team to tie it up in the ninth inning, which that bottom line is going to cost you like another half hour probably, you know, because now not only do the Dodgers, well, actually once they get their uh, bottom of the inning ended, now we're going to extras. So that means guaranteed the other team gets the three, you know, so you start doing the math in your head and you're having an anxiety attack because deadline is looming. And so it's, it becomes one of those games. It was, it turned right on a dime. All right. So long story short, after the game, uh, what happens at Dodger Stadium is as soon as the game's over, there's an elevator right behind press the uh, the press box. Don't, don't get me started on elevators. Yes. Well, there you go. You know, you know what I'm talking about. But in Dodger Stadium's case, what they do is they hold it for Vin Scully because he goes right to the elevator, right downstairs, gets into his car, drives home to Encino or Sherman Oaks, wherever it was he lived. Lived. So there's Vin Scully. I walk on, and it's it's held for for all the reporters. And I'm just disheveled because it's been a long night, and it it all just kind of blew up uh, with that three run home run. And Vince Scully looks at me, and he's like, uh, "Boy, I, I I envy you guys. You know, uh, can't be easy when a game turns like that. It's a rough night for you writers." And I I said to him, "I go, well, let's just put it this way. There's probably a couple of cocktails uh, in my immediate future just to kind of settle the nerves." And Vince Scully says to me. It reminds me of the old W.C. Fields story. It was a woman who turned me to drink. Pause. Come to think of it, I never did send her a thank you note. And I'm like, <laughs> and he told it doing the way Vince Scully could tell a story, and I just started cracking up. I never did thank her for turning me to drink. I'm like, yes, exactly. So, uh, yeah, and we're why we're talking about this, Damon Cotton had a little aspiration earlier in his life, which was about a month ago, because uh, he's that young, uh, of being a writer, an, an, a, you know, an aspiring uh, thing to, to be. Uh, but it is difficult, and yes, deadlines are terrible. Uh, thankfully, covering the NFL, it's usually 1 o'clock local time wherever you are, whether it's here in Las Vegas when the Raiders play at home or out on the road. Uh, and even when you're back east and it's 1 o'clock, it's actually 10 o'clock out here. So that gives you all the time in the world to meet whatever deadline you're dealing with. However, part of covering a popular team, DeMond Cotton, also means covering games that are on national TV. And those 5 o'clock games can be really deceiving because you go, ah, I got enough time. I'll have enough time. But then as the game goes on, and how many times you were down in the press, you know, the, the uh, interview room, I couldn't even get down there sometimes on, on some of those later yeah, the, games. Yeah, like the Sunday night game. Yeah, because it's just, it's not, it doesn't work. It doesn't work on the deadline. You exactly. know, like I got to so be up here listening. Worse. Yeah. So if you're ever wondering, why didn't Vinny ask a question? <laughs> Uh, at, you know, whatever the Ken. Well, you guys would like do the. Uh, this is a question I have. So, like, let's say you have Sam, <laughs> Sam Gordon, or Cassie Soto. Yes. They go down. Do you and Ed Graney just say, "Hey, these are like some questions I would want to ask yes. if you when you get down there." Yes, and text me the answer as quickly as you can. But and a lot of times, <laughs> in those situations, uh, they pipe in the press conference on the TVs. You know, the TVs in the press box. However. <laughs> With an open press box, this is the one I love the open press box concept. When when we talk about open press box, there's no window. 
uh, blocking you from the game and and the sounds of the game, really. There's stadiums like in Los Angeles and many others where you have a window, and you, so you can't hear what's going on. You have to watch what's going on. That's fine. but And so I prefer always an opened, windowed press box. However, at Allegiant Stadium, there's a lot of sounds after the game that are still going on because you've got that the wind club, which is blaring, you know. <laughs> They're partying down there, yeah, you man. Got, you got people like me. Well, we're like, then you got other people around you. I don't know how good are you at just turning everything off when you, you have put your headphones to, on and get plugged in. You, you, you have to. You know, and you have, <laughs> you have people like this can drive you nuts. There's people that have pet peeve things that are that they're doing. I used to cover baseball, and there was a guy. I'm not going to mention who it is. Would sit next to me. Can you hear that? Okay, stop. he was it's always clipping. Annoying. Yes, exactly. <laughs> always, always clicking it like this. And we would try to hide his pens, so he would not do that. Then you have the guy that eats the potato chips or whatever really loud, and you're trying to focus you know, on writing. It, it, little things like that can definitely drive you nuts. Thank God for headphones and AirPods where you could just – I put music on. I write to jazz. Like I can't – you can't put music on with words because you just – then that gets in your head. So it's got to be uh, like – I just <laughs> Google – it doesn't even matter. It's I, I probably listen the same one a million times, but I don't care. Uh, it, it's it's nice, peaceful, soothing music that I can write to. Uh, but yeah, the 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 noise can be maddening. But with the wind club, which is a great idea and a great concept, and people are having major fun down there. And there are many times Devon Cotton when I look down there, going, I wish I was down there with those guys right now. Exactly. <laughs> Me too. Sometimes you'd be up there and it's just like, huh, man. Because it would stay open, like you said, like at least an hour until after the game was over. The wind club? Oh, yeah. yeah. So that was people, when the party really began. People really just partying down there, and it's always just that, huh, I wonder. I, Yes, I do wonder. Wonder what happened if I was in there. Yeah. Maybe, that's, maybe that'll be my last day on the job. That's, oh, how, I'll, that's like how I'll go out. Is that going to be the reason it's the last day on the no, job? No, I'll have it planned. I'll be calculating about it, but I'll say this is it. I'm not even going to turn in my story. I'm just going to go down there. I'm going to throw my I'm just going to throw it all up in the air and say that's it. I'm going down there with them for good. You know what? I don't think it's going to I don't think it's going to go so how you're picturing it cuz you're going to think you're walking in there like as a hero. <laughs> yeah, right. And people are going to be like, "Who's this guy?" Right, exactly. It won't have the necessary impact that I thought it would and it's I'd be like, like a movie. "Hey, Vinny!" Then I'll be like, "I got to get upstairs and write my story." Here's this $800 bottle of champagne. Yeah. Let me pour you a glass. Right, exactly. Oh boy. I want to say thanks to Bill Rabinowitz from the Columbus Post-Dispatch. Great newspaper. Does a great job covering Ohio State football. I want to say thanks to Mike Clay uh, for shedding a whole bunch of light on some free agency. And I really like to look at the depth of free agency. Uh, so thanks to him. Thanks to the callers. Thanks to our listeners. Thanks to Demond Cotton. We will be back at it tomorrow live from the Treasure Island. We're back at the uh, Golden Circle Sportsbook live at the uh, Treasure Island tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. Brought to you by Tequila and